What's going on, podcast family? Ben here for Devo Bad Company. Rooted in Eastern Washington, Devo uses nothing but the highest quality maple, ash, birch on the market. You know what? It makes a difference. At Devo Bats, they take pride in the craftsmanship that goes into each and every wooden bat produced. Your success at the plate is their ultimate priority. They want you to know when you think of bats, think of Devo Bats. Devo Bats, your Northwest supplier of affordable quality wooden bats. Have you ever seen an advertisement for the Hitting Vault but can't quite figure out what it is? Get a one-on-one consultation with my man, Travis, at the Hitting Vault for more information. That's T-R-A-V-I-S at thehittingvault.com. Learn how the most trusted online baseball and softball hitting instruction can make you a better coach and or player today. The Hitting Vault, unlock your power. is a baseball town. Our secretary didn't have anybody on the phone. <laughs> there was nobody on the phone. They were just egging me along. So they bought a little short chubby guy in with the name Peters and put him <laughs> in my place and sent me to double A ball. Two fans, one mission to bring Major League Baseball to Oregon. This is the Diamonds and Roses podcast. Without further ado, your hosts, Ben and Dave. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Diamonds and Roses podcast. As always, I am your host, Harry Doyle, and we're here with another fine day at Indians baseball. <laughs> we're not. <laughs> we're back here with Jonathan Loomis, baseballism. Uh, so, Jonathan, it's great having you back again this week. It was like we didn't see you for a whole entire week, and now you're back. Yeah, thanks for having me back, man. I appreciate it. It was a great episode last week. I really, really appreciate it. Um, got to learn a lot more about you. And uh, I think we were, after the last episode, we talked a little bit more about some who would play who as far as some characters. Uh, I think we John C. Riley plays uh, Kalen. I think that's so perfect. I can't <laughs> even wait to t- go tell him about that. <laughs> He'd probably come up with somebody else. Like, no, no, what are you talking about, Lewis? Um, but anyways... <clears throat> Uh, we are uh, we are back here. We're gonna jump right on in because we uh, gotta get a lot to get in. So, in this episode, like I said, we're gonna talk about uh, first talk about you're playing baseball currently. So, I just answered my first question that you're still playing. Yes, you're still yeah. playing baseball. Um, what position or positions are you currently playing in your league? Yeah, um, I first want to call out that out of my team, Travis. Kalen and Jonathan. I'm the only one still playing. None. Of, I can't get those guys to come out and play anymore. They feel like they're too old, which is not true. But, with that aside, um, I catch predominantly, but um, I did a little pitching this last season, and I could play third base. Um, but I still prefer to be behind the dish. That's probably where I, I like to be um, until my body says otherwise, which is getting clo- which I'm getting close to that. Mm-hmm. And what, what league are you in? Yeah, I've so I've bounced around a couple different leagues. Um, MSBL. Uh, I think the, the last league I was in was the NWIBL, 
um, Northwest Independent Baseball League. It's just a league here out in Portland. Um, played for the Northwest Naturals last year, and then, um, but I'm not sure if we're going to keep that team going. So, mm-hmm. yeah. How is the team put together? It's yeah. It's uh, it's very much just. Um, it's age bracket, so you know we. I, there's different divisions. There's different age brackets within mm-hmm. the league, and there's like 18 up, 30 up, 35 up. I think there's even a 40 up. Um, I jumped into the 18 and up league last year, uh, but I put together a team of mostly 30 mid 30 year olds, and so we were um, the most I should say seasoned team uh, playing the 18 year olds, mm-hmm. and we did okay. I think we managed uh, finished middle of the pack. Um. And it was basically kind of a hand-picked team, word-of-mouth team, whoever can kind of jump in. It gets harder. The older you get, the I feel like the harder mm-hmm. it is to, to commit to the time and um, the to, to play all the games. I mean, you're playing a couple games a week. Schedule can kind of bounce around okay. a little bit. And is that like predominantly on the weekends or is it throughout the week also? It, yeah, it changes. Uh, I would like it to be predominantly during the week, but it ended up being quite a bit of weekend games last week or last year. Um, I mean, you could you could play Monday through Sunday, really. It, it's just about mm-hmm. field availability, scheduling, that kind of stuff. So altogether, you, you've been playing since you're five. So you've been about 30 some odd years playing ball, yeah. correct? That's about right, yeah. Yeah. How is playing catcher? for so long impact your body like predominantly because like i know it's like a lot of knees like yeah. with catchers that have caught so long totally it's um i feel very uh very fortunate i have not had like a catastrophic injury um i've pulled a hamstring before which definitely you know i actually done that twice so it's t- that and the hamstrings are, are real it wasn't because of catching though it was just on the bases and so i've had injuries before but but in terms of the catching the dynamics of catching um my knees are great and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really fortunate with that. I have definitely noticed that I get a little swell, swell, uh, swelling in the knees after I've done playing a season, like just the stagnation, like you play and then you stop and my body kind of actually uh, finding that my left knee kind of freezes up a little bit, but it's, it's it, nothing I can't get through. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am now from a shoulder perspective, my, my arm, which would be an issue any, at any part, part of the field. I'm, I'm starting to, now have shoulder issues and so i gotta i'm sort of evaluating that a little bit more um but you throw the thing about catching is you throw you're, you're basically throwing every play right yeah. you're receiving the ball and throwing it back it's not a violent throw but you're definitely involved in your in your body is in motion every play mm-hmm. um in a way that's not necessarily true for any for other, yeah, yeah for any other position so um i've been lucky i have not I, i've been holding up okay knees are fine um but the throwing arm I've, I'm evaluating right now. So what are you doing to stay kind of stay in playing shape? Yeah. <laughs> Eating lots of burritos, uh, in the off season. No, the playing shape thing is, this is, uh, I have to admit that I'm not great at this. And I, as I'm getting older, I need to be more cognizant about how I prep for a season. But, um, I give myself probably a good two weeks of just kind of prep time. It really should be more than that. Uh, my wife gives me a lot of flack for, the fact that I don't take care of my body enough uh, during the off season, but um, 
like the older you get, I mean, it's real. Like, uh, mm-hmm. recovery times are harder. Warming up is, is more necessary. I think that's probably the biggest thing is, um, you can't just jump into a game. Like when you're, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, you could just like hop on the field and start playing. Mm-hmm. Um, I really have to be cognizant about how I stretch, yeah. how I warm up my arm. Um, those things matter a lot now. And so I'm getting better at, at learning what that is. I heard you recently played in a tournament in Arizona. Tell me about it. Yeah, so I went um, every year. The MSBL league—it's a national league. They put together a World Series in um, Phoenix, and it's in October. And they basically run—it. I think it runs for almost a month and a half. It's a really long tournament, and it's again, it's age bracket driven. So you've got, you know, eighteen ups. You've got. 30 ups, 35. Uh, I mean, there's all sorts of, of, of divisions. Um, and they, and you play, it's kind of addicting for baseball. People who love baseball, but what the way they do it is, um, you're guaranteed a certain number of games during pool play. And it, that's a, I think it's like six games in four days. So you, mm-hmm. you show up, you play two double headers back to back and then you play on. So double header Monday, double header Tuesday, a game Wednesday, a game Thursday, depending on your, your record, you can then get into, into the playoffs. Um, and if you win, you're, you're playing in a six day period of time, you're playing up to nine baseball games. Oh, wow. Which is a quite a bit. It's just a tremendous amount of, um, mm-hmm. of, energy it's a tremendous amount of focus and um it, we so this this past october we um we got lucky enough to be to have a really strong team mm-hmm. and we we ended up winning or you know doing very well pool play we made it to the playoffs we were a top seed team and there's and there's 20 teams in this division so it, and they're all over the country um there was a team out of the virgin islands there and so you basically we made the playoffs and we just started kept winning and winning and winning and we were lucky enough to make it to that championship game and finally win so we played nine games in six days and walked away with the championship trophy it was a great feeling somebody threw out a number you know to me and uh, it said 17 for 25. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what that number is. Yeah, yeah I, I wasn't shy about it because I um, I'm talking about it, but I, so I had, you know, I played every, every all the nine games and, and um, I had 25 recorded at bats, you know, right? Not including walks and hit by pitches, but I, um, I ended up going for 17 for 25, which I, which I've never, I've never hit that well before, um, in a consecutive week. And, um, I, I didn't hit any home runs and I only had two doubles. So I basically hit 15 <laughs> singles. Uh, but it was great. I, it was, a it was a great kind of like offensive, um, performance for me. And, uh, I was really proud of the kind of, of, of hitting, uh, that well. Mm-hmm. And um, probably will never uh, replicate that. But I do have to say, what's interesting about that is uh, a month before the tournament, so in um, so September, I was in Las Vegas, and I was there for a conference. And I was walking through um, the MGM hotel, mm-hmm. and I looked over, and Pete Rose was signing autographs and he the deal was like and this is not this is common Pete Rose signs a lot of autographs and he's often in Las Vegas and maybe yeah. live there I don't even know but um they were just opening it up 
this sports memorabilia shop and Pete Rose, they were advertising Pete Rose signing autographs. And I was like, you know what? I got some time to kill. I'd love to meet Pete Rose. So I walked in, bought my baseball. I was the first in line. It was in the morning and no one else was there. So they let me in right away. And Pete Rose is in this back room. And I've seen Pete Rose on TV and I, you know, and it's, so I kind of have a sense of his personality and I, I sat down and he was just right away. It's like, Hey, who would I make the ball out to? He had, a, I made it out to my son, um, with a little of encouragement on there. And, uh, and, um, it was great cause there was no line, right? So it was just me and Pete and, and it was so early in the pro in the morning, no one else was there. And I, so I said, Hey, do you mind if I ask you some questions about hitting? And I was like, cause I'm really trying to work on going the other way with the ball. And, and I was, you know, and I didn't know what he was going to say. I thought maybe he would just tell me to get out of there. He, so he takes his glasses off and he sits back in his chair and he's like, okay, well tell me about how are you approaching the plate? And basically what I got was, and then we ended up taking the base, a baseball bat off the wall <laughs> and he walked me through my stance and he, oh, really? and he gave me a hitting lesson for about 15 minutes. It was unbelievable. I got a hitting lesson from Pete Rose, and then a month later, I went seventeen for twenty-five in this tournament. So I kind of, I kind of attribute a little bit to to Pete. Um, he really helped me. There was a, just a couple things he kind of helped me with on the approach mm-hmm. and just ha- thinking about where to hit the ball and why. Um, and a couple, a couple arm. Uh, really, like he, his focus was. Uh, get your four like basically punch the ball with your forearm it's a very old school way i mean pete rose didn't hit a lot of home runs he's just a singles guy too singles and doubles yeah i mean that's that's he lived and died by that and that's and honestly that's my uh, that's kind of what i naturally gravitate towards anyway so mm-hmm. he's a contact guy and so what he had to say and, and his approach and you know uh was exactly made a lot of sense to me so yeah that was uh, was he excited to uh, like he, walk you through this you know what he, that was a thing i mean he could have said no to me right um and I don't know if anyone's ever asked him that, uh, to give him a hitting lesson before. And I, uh, he basically just did it because he really, ca- I, I could feel like he actually really cared. Mm-hmm. He was like, I want to maybe help you be a better baseball player. Yeah. And he, and he gave me his time. It was great. That's a great story. Uh, so since the league that you're in is a wood bat league, what brand of bat do you like to use and why? Yeah, I, um, I really like Devo bats. I got turned on to him by my buddy, John. Santiago, um, he he told me about the brand. I'd never used them before, and I got a couple bats. And I just really like the the balance of the Devo bat. It's mm-hmm. it feels really really balanced in my hand, um, and it just has it just makes great contact. I I yeah I use that's almost exclusively now. I and it, you know it's not it's, and it's not a composite bat. Like you can use composite bats in our league, obviously, but um, and a lot of guys prefer that. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't. I, I prefer kind of the, the more uh, natural wood bat and and devos are what I, I I swing now exclusively. Nice. How can someone who's interested in joining this particular league? How can they 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 join? Yeah, the website, I would go to um, NW, I think it's nwibl.org. Um, if you Google that, at least you, you're going to find it. But basically, Dwin Nibble is the, um, he's the head guy there. And uh, you can easily basically just get into a pool. If you don't have a team that you're, that you know about yet, you can, um, email and get into a pool and then he'll assign you to a team. And there's even tryouts. They even hold tryouts as well. So it's very, it's very accessible and they have all sorts of levels of age, um, brackets. So let's jump into baseballism. Now we heard Travis on his episode. We heard Kalen and we heard, 
uh, Jawade on their episodes and their transitions. You, you know, with Kalen, it's going the military route, then kind of jumping back into it after he gets back out, you know, from the military. And then, you know, with Jawade and Chalk, they kind of just jumped into it after school. But you took a, you also took a little bit of a different route, like, um, Kalen did, and and you went on to another career outside of college with OHSU, and then um, coming over to baseball. What was that transition like for you to go from working for a public institution to then going work for a private entity? Yeah, that um, and everyone has their own kind of journey when they when they make a job change, and uh, I don't know if mine was necessarily that different, but it was unbelievable. I mean. Just, just to describe the feeling in the in the transition. So, you know, I worked at a large academic medical center for 12 years, and I ran a department of about 35 people. And so, I in that flow of life and the, what you focus on and who you talk to, and um, you know, the the complexity of a large organization takes a certain type of skill set. Um, the way you manage your time and your day is just different than when you go to a private company that has a handful of people in it. Mm-hmm. I think I underestimated how um, difficult it was going to be. Not because of like the difficult of the te- difficulties of the task, but rather the flow of your uh, how you budget your time and manage your time and and what you focus on and what and how you know what to focus on right away. Um, I found that that transition to be challenging. It was also it's a bit of a you know not the, it's a weird thing to say, but it's almost lonely. Um, it was a lonelyish transition. You're kind of going through the transition by yourself. You, um, yes, you are actually working with your friends and which, which is cool. Like you've got your friends around you and you've got a tight knit group of people around you. But, um, the journey of trying to figure things out and structure things is kind of a lonely journey. And, uh, being an entrepreneur is actually kind of lonely and no one really talks about that. But, um, the the highs are I would I had the way I describe it is like the highs are higher and the lows are lower. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're working, the and that was my experience when I compared to working at OHSU. Um, the wins are great there, um, the losses suck, but you can always like uh, mentally I think get past some of the negatives um, when you're working for a large organization because you share that with so many other people, yeah, and you don't take it so personally. Um, but when you own your own business and you're running it and you've got responsibilities of employees and everything kind of comes back to you as an individual, um, it's unbelievably burdensome and mentally kind of challenging when you have kind of tough moments, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So um, I wasn't prepared for that. I didn't expect that. And now you can work through it. And I'm, it's like now I kind of know how to work with, work it but um, and deal with it. But at the time, it was tough. Mm-hmm. Were you involved in the Beaverton Garage days? Yeah, absolutely. The Beaverton Garage days. I, um, I yeah, totally. I remember help setting some of that stuff. I, so the Beaverton Garage, that little condo that Travis was renting, that's where we all met when we initially put this whole concept together. So I remember walking in to his little studio and sat down and we just, we built the business plan basically right there on the couch with our laptops. And then that's where the product shots were done in the garage. Uh, Travis, based, Travis did a lot of the heavy lifting with like the website and, and the product and sourcing it. But I, I mean, we were shipping and packing and picking in out of that garage from day one. And, um, it was a bit of a drive for me, but it, man, it was mm-hmm. so worth it. Is it funny to like think about, 
now when Travis got the notification from the HOA about all the pallets and stuff <laughs> yeah. like outside. It was definitely the, the trigger moment when we knew we needed to get out of there. And then it moved to my garage, actually. So okay. it went from... It went from this yeah small little garage to a not much bigger garage, but mm-hmm. a garage nonetheless. And we ran it out of my house. Um, 2000, yeah, I mean, I think my garage was like late 2013. Were you ironing shirts at that time too? Oh, yeah. Steaming them, ironing, folding. Uh, I didn't do nearly as much as Travis. Mm-hmm. It was... Um, I was moonlighting, but doing other things. I was working on, you know, doing the financials and mm-hmm. the books and that kind of stuff. But yeah, the boots on the ground, folding t-shirts and picking, packing, I, I did for sure, especially during Black Friday and some of those bigger booms I was involved, but um, not nearly as much as as Travis was and Dwayne yeah. was in the beginning. And Kalen too, when he when he eventually came on full board, full mm-hmm. time. Dwayne said that his mom taught him at iron and Travis said that he thinks it's Dwayne's mom that taught him at iron. How yeah, about that you? That sounds about right. <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever taught me at iron. I still don't know how to, I bet I'd do it wrong. I don't That's do it very well. That's why there's so many burn marks on that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of wrinkles, a lot of burn marks. Yeah. How did it make you feel seeing and hearing how excited people were to see the baseballism camp shirts and ask for them? Yeah, that... It's, I actually don't, I still to this day, um, get a really cool reaction when I see someone wearing our stuff and it's the same reaction I saw uh, I felt when people were asking for the camp shirt, because to be honest, my first reaction was like, well, why do you want that camp shirt? Mm It's like, it was almost like almost a disbelief. Like, yeah, it's, it's cool. It's different. It's unique. Um, but like, really you want, like, you want to buy that shirt. That was my first reaction. Almost I like, didn't, I didn't understand it. And then once it happened more than once, you're like, okay, now I get it. Like there, what's, I get what's happening here. This lifestyle concept of baseball yeah. that's beyond the team. Um, and I, and I took me even a, uh, it took me a hot second to kind of get Travis's vision, um, of what he was trying to do. And then, but once you, once you understand it, like it totally makes sense. Um, and it's evolved so much, tremendous, so much mm-hmm. since then, but the, the underlying concept is still there, right? I mean, we're selling baseball inspired, lifestyle clothes to people who love the game for the game and not because they're just a Dodgers fan or just a Red Sox fan or just a Yankees fan, but rather they love the game because it's an amazing game and that it's a simple story to tell. And and kind of highlighting on that, baseball is on this eight brick and mortar stores roughly. What does it take to open one up? For example, um, like a location setting, like selection. Yeah, it's pretty involved. Um, but, and the, here's the dominoes and I'll, and you know, it's more complicated than this for sure, but I'll give you kind of a rough outline of, of how, of how the progression works. It all starts with the location. So we as a group need to agree on where we want to go. And, um, we're most successful when we, we pick a location because our analytics tell us it's a good spot. So like, where do people follow us? Like if you look at our social media following, be like, okay, where do these people live? Um, people who buy from us. Okay. Where are we shipping a lot of product to? If you can triangulate and be like, you know, it makes sense for us to be in Irvine, California. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all agree. Then that's domino number one. 
then it's a question of, okay, well, where specifically in that area? Now there's a couple of different rights, ways you can go about it, but then it's about, we want to be on in an A plus location every single time. We don't want to be location. We will pass on what might feel like it might seem like a great spot. Um, if it's not an a location, like the micro, like the micro analytics, it have to be like, it has to be on a, a, a highly, tra- you know, traversed area and a lot of eyeballs. There needs to, it needs to be uh, well positioned. Cause if you miss on that, mm-hmm. um, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't pencil. It's not a good investment. And so this is one of the, like the economics really kick in is yeah, we can find a place in general that we like to be, but like we, we need it to really be a strong, um, a strong business case about how we go about it. So it is get an A plus location and then it's the, um, the cost, the cost of the landlord has to be reason has to be fit within a certain parameter of what we mm-hmm. think the revenue is going to be. And then, um, from there it's the cash upfront investment of building the store out. We like second generational space because you typically it's cheaper, you know, it's already kind of the footprints there. Um, the, the landlord still gives you a bit of a, a reimbursement for any improvements you make. Um, and the cost is a little bit lower. So there's a bit of a formula that we want to, that we like, that we like to replicate. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some dominoes here, right? And then we just kind of check the dominoes and we can go down the list and if, and if all of the boxes are checked, um, then we'll make a move. Mm-hmm. When discussing a store, is based on drafting ideas for homegrown line to see what works and what doesn't? Yeah. Because um, there's a lot of fans that love the homegrown product, me right. being one of them. Totally. The, t- the, the I would say the homegrown product, it doesn't drive a decision of whether or not to go there. Um, it's usually the... It's a product. Yeah, it's the product. We create product after we've decided location wise we want to be somewhere. But it certainly is an important component because it's about it's about 20 percent. So like we open a store in um, San Francisco is a great example. So we open a store right by what is now Oracle Park. Mm -hmm. About twenty percent of the sales of that store is going to be homegrown stuff, right? So not inline things. It's going to be like the hat you're wearing, the the California bear uh, with a bat in its mouth, with the black and orange, and that just animates the city. It animates that that fan base, and that's about twenty percent of the sales. So you, we have to, we've got to be good about the homegrown. The problem, um, not a problem, but just the reality of that model is every time we open a store in a new city, it's it's another product line that we can't sell anywhere else right so i Mm -hmm. can't sell the hat you're wearing that black and orange hat with a california bear on it i can't sell that in st louis no right or boston or chicago or anywhere else maybe you know maybe irvine if you really want to piss off the dodger fans but it's um what what it basically means it's hard to scale that model so we're conscious about that too. And so we, when we open a door, we want to make it scalable and that we have enough inline product in there where we're not, we're not spending a ton of our time, um, having to create a whole new product line that only lives in one store. That's just a lot of creative bandwidth. Um, and it keeps us from being able to go everywhere. Which, which homegrown product do you like the most? I actually, I love the, uh, San Francisco homegrown product. I think I think that that hat you're wearing, and I know no one, none of the listeners can see it, but that Cal Bear concept with baseball, I think, is fire. I love it. I love the black and orange. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I'm a huge Duck fan, and we're green and yellow, um, I really, really like 
that, that stuff. My second favorite would be the, uh, some of the Oakland stuff we've done, um, which is a green and yellow play, uh, mm-hmm. with stuff. We, we have a good relationship with the Oakland A's and we actually have done stuff for their pr- spring training facility. We've, we've created uh, exclusive hats for them during spring training. And I really like what we've done yeah. down there. What does baseballism mean to you? Man, it's that's actually a, a deep question. Only because I, you know, I'm so in it, and I it's something I've helped build, and and it's everything. It's my job. It's I look at it every day. Um, it Let's is, take the job standpoint out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's look at it from like what's been created, what's there. Yeah, I, it is a com- it's, What it is is a community, and we can't lose sight of the fact that we're building the brand is meant to unite baseball people around a common theme and that, and our, it's, it's our mission statement. So we, and we don't do a great job of, of blasting this out, but our mission statement is show the world how great baseball could be period. And that's what the brand is about. It's about, it doesn't matter if you live in the East coast or the West coast or the mm-hmm. Midwest and you are, you know, a Red Sox fan or a Dodgers fan or a Cubs fan the brand is for everybody. Yeah. And it's about the, the, the positive goodness of baseball. And, and that takes hold in so many different ways. And it, and it, we, we express that through quotes. We express that through graphics, through videos we do. It's a fan. We are trying to build a brand that can be worn by a grandfather, a son, right? It can be, or the mother, um, the grandmother or the, the wife. I mean, everyone should be able to approach this brand because they have a common Mm -hmm. love of baseball. This is not meant for, you know, fraternity, just for fraternity guys. This is not meant for just players. The brand's meant for everyone who loves baseball. And and it goes back, you know, a comment I made on week one uh, podcast. I said, um, there's different windows kind of into the game. And my game was, was as a player, um, some people, yeah, so fill in the blank. Like maybe you love the game because you liked watching it with your dad. Mm-hmm. Um, this brand should be for you. Uh, maybe you like this game because you, or you like baseball because you took your son to every baseball game when they were 12 years old and you fell in love with it. Like that, this brand is for you too. Um, I play the game and I'll probably pay, play it the day I die. This brand is for me. Yeah. Run us through the life, day in the life of Jonathan Loomis. Okay. Um, a work day for me yeah. is, so I have a, I have a team, a small team of guys, and we typically start our day off with a, with a meeting, a huddle. We talk about what's kind of the hot topics uh, for the week, challenges we're having, and uh, we kind of structure um, our to-do list. And I, I kind of make sure that I feel like where everyone's focusing on the right thing. And then my day is actually pretty consistent, typically consistent in the morning. I, there's three reports that I generate or look at every morning that really make sure I understand the health of the business. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a CFO, um, my responsibility is, uh, is not, I'm not, I don't care what colorway we're coming out a shirt in. Right. I mean, that's like, that's Travis and other guys' decisions. Like, you know, whether or not we make a black hat versus a red hat versus a blue hat. I mean, I'm not in that. Um, so I'm looking at the, just the financial health of the company and I'm looking at statistics. I'm looking at year over year, day over day, week over yeah. week, month over month trends. And I'm constantly doing a cash flow projection. Um, I'm trying to understand, you know, are we trying to make a big investment somewhere? Are we trying to make a move, um, with personnel and just really making sure we 
can structure the business in a way that can live on forever. Cause I, this is a business that we want to pass down to our kids mm-hmm. one day. What's one project you've worked on directly that has meant a lot to you? This is going to sound super nerdy. Um, being, so I, I mean, being a finance and accounting guy, I always took for granted some of the processes that were in place when, uh, for, in my previous employers. Um, you know, they already had a, ger- a general ledger system in place. They already had a payroll system in place. So we built all of that from the scratch and mm-hmm. it works and it works pretty well. And so I've, I'm really proud of our implementation of just the, the, the mechanics of the economic or, you know, the, the accounting mechanics of the company, um, we've taken a very level headed cost effective approach to building a powerful, um, reporting platform. And I, I feel really good about that. Mm-hmm. So baseball and recently, uh, notified the world of a new, uh, store location. It's a iconic movie location. Um, the field of dreams store. Yep. What's the store opening mean for baseballism? I think that it, it actually, and after going there, and I encourage anyone to go, uh, if you have not been to the Field of Dreams, I really encourage you to go. Um, I think it's the second most important thing we've ever done mm-hmm. as a company is being, is, well, you know, we have an exclusive retail presence on that property for 10 years and um, it fits our brand perfectly. Mm-hmm. It just, it, it's, it, it's such a perfect move. It's the second most important thing we've done besides Cooperstown, New York. And, um, I'm really excited about it. And I, I think actually, you know, you know, we just, we did a, you know, we did this Nike shoe collaboration, which was unbelievable of, uh, in, in once in a lifetime thing. But I think the field of dreams movie site is more important. Yeah. Speaking of movies, we talked a little bit about major league. Yeah. So me being a fan of that movie, I really love the part where Pedro Serrano takes the golf, um, club sock off of the golf yeah. clubs <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and says hats for bats <laughs> keep that warm gracias okay and I pitched this to Kalen you guys have gotta make the golf club sock with Pedro's face on it and it says hats for bats I, I personally love it um, and I will I promise you that I will reinforce that with Kalen and Travis and um, see what we can do. Because I think it's great. I love that moment in the movie. It's fun. Um, I, <laughs> there's 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 a lot of things that I can influence around here, but what we make and win is not one of them, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, but it's 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 great. I mean, it's just it's an iconic yeah. movie scene. I lo- Pedro Sarno is probably one of my favorite characters in that movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is Which which one's your favorite character? Uh Man, you know, Roger Dorn, for some reason, always stands out to me, not because I like idolize him or anything, but, um, uh, I always thought he was kind of like a interesting and he kind of reminds me of a guy I played with. (laughs) So (laughs) I I always, I always kind of attracted to him, especially when he gets beamed by that ball. I just love that moment. Um, man, my favorite character, it's. Harry Doyle too. He's just, he makes the, I feel like con. Yeah. He just, he glues that thing together, man. Yeah. He, he really like the movie, like the actor, like the players are incredible, but like Harry Doyle is, you know, is just, he makes it that much more funny. 
Mm-hmm. So I think I it starts off with Rick Vaughn, and he's just throwing the ball wild, and he's like, just a yeah. bit outside. Totally, and he's drinking in every scene, you know? It's just, yeah, it's so good. Yeah, I mean, that's just iconic movie. What's your, what's your favorite baseball movie? Yeah, I... I debate this with myself, so I'll give you kind of the two. Um, I'm a sucker for Bull Durham. That's a great movie. You know, and I I like movies that are centered around catchers. <laughs> uh, Crash Davis. Crash Davis, you know, and I love his character, and I think it's played so well. And I, mm-hmm. you know, it's just such a great movie in and out it captures a lot of like the intricacies of baseball and, and I like the, how it's focused on the minor leagues because I think that's, um, the struggle is real down there. And I think they capture some of that mm-hmm. pretty well. Um, it's funny when it needs to be funny. It's serious when it needs to be f- serious. So I like, I like Bull Durham and then Sandlot for all the reasons that baseball's fun to be like fun as a kid. It's just like, they really capture all the pieces why I liked baseball as a kid, mm-hmm. right? It's fun to play, but then it's just this eclectic mix of kids around you and you're, and they're your friends and you, mm-hmm. and, and it was a coming of age movie and it's a baseball movie and it's a, an adventure movie. It's like all these things mixed together. No, that's, you know? I mean, that movie is us as kids. Yeah. I mean, it's us out there playing pickup games with our friends. Exactly. So, I mean, that's why I, you know, it's one of the more iconic movies that's out there. Yeah. So let's jump into MLB to PDX. Okay. What's baseball's involvement with the Portland Diamond Project's push to bring Major League Baseball to Oregon? We are um, massive supporters of the initiative. We help. We have. We have um, everything from helping host events to product sourcing products to help anim- animate their the the base of people who want to wear Portland, you know, PDP. Mm-hmm. stuff and show their pride for it um we have actually partnered with portland diamond project to sponsor make-a-wish kids who have baseball wishes mm-hmm. um so we've economically come together and hosted you know help sponsor these kids and and host their wish to really you know go to an all-star game or um uh you know have a have an exp- have a baseball experience and it's been incredible because um, you really it's it's our it's our mission, right? We were able to partner with them to show the world how good baseball can be, and mm-hmm. we've done that on several several levels. Now, uh, you know, we are not involved at all in in the mechanics of bringing a team here. We're simply we are partnered with them on um, from a promotional standpoint. Yeah, they also uh, they are subtenants of ours um, in in a building. Their so their main offices are out of our Quimby location. So we and you know we d- definitely want to. We gave them that deal. We gave them a really good deal to be there. So we, we're trying to help them where we can. Yeah, and. Um, Man, I and I'll be first in line to buy season tickets. I'll tell you that once it happens. I but I yeah, I'm not involved at all in strategy. We're not involved in strategy or decision making or anything like that. Yeah. It's just it's a partnership. Exactly, and uh, I I just want to give a lot of credit to to, to you guys at baseballism because a lot of people don't know like how involved outside of work a lot of you guys are. And I know with Jouades, with Friends of Baseball, which is a nonprofit organization, yep. I read that you're um, involved with Make a Wish Oregon. Yep. So I mean, there's there's more to you than out than 
internally sure. with baseballism and the things that you do externally yeah. to continue to show your support for the community growth and development of baseball. So I just want to commend yeah. you, you for that work. Thank you. Appreciate that. Do you see a team relocating or do you see an expansion team coming to Oregon? It, yeah, this is tough. I, um, I don't have the tea leaves or the crystal ball, right? Uh, but uh, it, what seems to be the most likely scenario is expansion to me. Yeah. And I, but I'm also very well aware that Portland is not the only West Coast city that's trying to bring a baseball team to their city, right? I mean, Las Vegas is, is building a stadium. Yeah. So, um, there's, there's some challenges here and Portland, I think just needs to realize that it's not a slam dunk and that there's some challenges ahead. But yeah, I think, I think ultimately it's to your question, it's relocate, or I'm sorry, it's expansion is probably the most likely. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's several years away. Yeah. And, and it takes a long time to expand. Um, there's franchising costs that are not small. It's hard. You have to build a minor league system. You have to get your feeders. I mean, mm -hmm. everything has to get in place when you expand. It's all net new. So um, people, you know, people who want to bring baseball to Portland, I just, just hold on because the ride is, is, is going to be a little bit, I think. Yeah. So who do you start a team with? <laughs> like players? Like who? Who's one player? It could be current. It could be past. Oh, I love this game. Okay. That you would just like. Okay, if I need to go build a team around this player, this is who's going to be. Yeah. Okay. I I just kind of did this mental exercise. Um, it, okay. So historic. And, and I'll be fair. These are players within my time period ish, but my my all star team of the last twenty years. Um, Randy Johnson on the hill. Mm -hmm. I think Ichiro is one of the most underrated players of all time because he his prime was in Japan. Um, so if you had Ichiro in his prime, he'd probably I, I would have him probably leading off for me. Um, I and this is no in no particular order here. Um, so I got I got the big unit on the hill. I got Ichiro playing you know center right field. And then, you know, there's a lot of arguments for me of what you can, where you go from here. I, I really do like Pete Rose as a number two hitter. Um, I would, he needs to be in the lineup. And then he was just, that guy just played. And, you know, what people don't realize about Pete is that he, I mean, that guy played every position. He was mm -hmm. such a utility player and he was good at all those positions. And he went to all-star games as like, you know, third, second, first base. I mean, this guy was everywhere. Yeah. I actually think he was one of those guys who played, played every position, but pitcher and catcher and, 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 uh, and was good at all of them. So I love him uh, in the field. Um, and then I've, you know, I'm going to, I'm kind of a sucker for Chipper Jones. I like switch hitting and probably put him at third. I mean, so like then it kind of yeah. goes from there, but yeah, if I was building a team all, all time, I, I think Ichiro and the big unit are really high on my list of, of guys that were my era. Mm -hmm. Um, now if I were, if Portland was building a team with today's players, um, who would I put on that team? And that is going to be tough. I really like Mike Trout. 
Yeah. And that's probably most people's favorite, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think he is, he's a first ballot hall of famer guy and he is, um, still so young. I just hate to see his career kind of being wasted in Anaheim, to be honest. And I say that not as a hit to, to the angels organization, but he'll probably never win there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a bit of a side note. I'm a little sad about that. It's kind of like how the Mariners kind of ruined Felix Hernandez. Um, and again, not a, not a shot, not a hit against the Mariners, but like, you know, King Felix spent his entire career with the Mariners. Um, which is admirable, but he was one of the greatest pitchers of the era and, yeah. and, uh, just didn't get any accolades, you know, his, his accolades just don't, he doesn't have a world series ring. He doesn't have a pennant out of it. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just too bad. You know, um, I can see an Altuve fitting in, in Portland. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. I like that. You know, the guy I really like is Springer. I like, uh, yep. I think he's just a dynamic player and I like, I think he's a really good clubhouse guy. Mm-hmm. I could see him being a good fit in Portland. There's been a lot of talk about like team names, so if you could just pick one name, if that flings off the top of your head, what would be a good team name for the uh, team? I personally like the Portland Roses. Um, that would never work here, I don't think. But um, I, th- you know, the rose is kind of seen, seen as a feminine kind of symbol, but I actually think it's it's I think it's awesome. I think it's a great homage to the city. Mm-hmm. Um, we are the city of roses. I yep. think I think it, the imagery of the rose is beautiful and cool, and it can be done in really cool ways. Um, well, I, did you know uh, that Jesse Owens, one of the the former Olymp- Olympic athlete mm. in track, helped start the Portland Rosebuds? I didn't know that. No. So it was a Negro League baseball team, back, I think it was in the 50s. I can't remember exactly the date off the top of my head, but he started the Portland Rosebuds, and they played at Old Vaughn Street Stadium. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, and that's another great, that would be a great homage right there Yeah. to that. Because um, the Tennessee team is like, you know, they're, they're, they're pushed to bring Major League Baseball to, to Tennessee. They're, you know, yeah. Nashville specifically yeah. is, you know, they're going with the old Negro League baseball team name. That's cool. Yeah, I love I love that kind of reaching back in history and really recognizing that moment of, uh, of our time, I think, and, and, and giving homage to it, I think is important. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, so personally, it's your question. Uh, Portland roses uh, would probably be my top money aside where are you sitting at the stadium? Like if you just like, mm. I'm going to get season tickets any, and it could be anywhere in the park where are you sitting in line? You know, I've, I've had the, honor of sitting behind home plate before and that's not a bad spot but i actually don't prefer it i am a give me um first base line and i don't want to be too i don't want to be too down low i don't i because you you actually don't see it's hard to see some things when you're kind of down low i like to Mm -hmm. be like probably 20 rows up on the first base line maybe just past the first base itself it's kind of my sweet spot area Nice. Well, Jonathan, this has been an amazing, you know, episode. We've had a lot of fun the last two weeks talking about you and sharing some memories, but I just want to say thank you very much for, for coming on. It really means a lot to me. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on, man. I've really enjoyed this. It's, it's been great. great. Um, but if you haven't done so yet, go check them out at baseballism.com. 
again, like I said, they've got eight brick and mortar stores across the country, um, just to name a few. Irvine, you got in Texas by the uh, Texas Rangers Stadium. You also have here Portland. You have a couple different locations here in Portland. You also have Boston, Chicago, Atlanta. So there's some some of the great locations, and soon you're going to be having at the Field of Dreams there in Iowa. So go check out those locations. Check out the great um, stuff they got there. Be like me. Go homegrown because I love it. <laughs> but uh, this will do it for this episode. As always, I'm your host, Ben, and you have a great day wherever you are at. Peace out.